0: And if you're a guest this morning, we really, uh, we're all about three things. And these are our core beliefs. And the first is that we really believe there's hope beyond your brokenness. It's amazingly good news. And we we grasp that hope as we trust the risen Jesus, the Jesus who lived, who suffered, who died and rose again. Everything we are is grounded in him. Can somebody say amen? As we trust the risen Jesus, that hope floods into our lives and it spills over into the opportunity to join him in his restoration work in this world. And it's because of these three beliefs, we believe we have three choices that come with the intentionality of our gratitude to Jesus. In other words, we choose to be a disciple in our everyday lives. I wake up in the morning and I say, Jesus, how do you want to change me today? I wake up in the morning and say, Jesus, how can I seek you first today? I wake up in the morning and say, how would you like me to join you in your resurrection work today? That's what a disciple is. You just every day ask those three questions. And life is an adventure. Amen. Because he loves to answer those questions. But we can't make those choices in isolation. There are no lone rangers for Jesus. We need a community around us. We need a family. We need the church. And in John 17, Jesus has this amazing prayer for the church, which is what we're looking at today. But first, I wanna ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. When did you first know you're beginning to be an adult? You may not wanna answer out loud. (laughs) Okay, let's just go around the room. (laughs) Lori? (laughs) Uh, Yes, yes, we have some in the front row who said, I haven't got there yet. So many cultures have ceremonies that mark off this passage. We call them rites of passage. Quinceanera, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah are some examples. I believe it's really critical especially in our American culture of adolescence, that we rediscover healthy rites of passage. And so, like any parent, we experimented on our firstborn. By the way, are there any firstborns here who got experimented on? (laughs) Now that explains everything. (laughs) So as our firstborn turned 13, we decided, along with a few other parents who had 13-year-olds in our church, to make up our own rites of passage and we tried them out on them. I invited several godly men in his life to write him a letter speaking from their heart, words of encouragement and challenge. I gathered these letters into a very special book, and then we, me and my band of brothers, took him, some of them flew down to be with us, and took him to a very nice dinner at his favorite restaurant and shared this gift along with our blessing with him. It was our way of saying, welcome to the community of men. We bless you. And by the way, we want to tell you what we wish we knew when we were 13. (laughs) That was an interesting time. A healthy rite of passage also includes a challenge or a test of endurance. You know, in African cultures, they have to go out into the wild Uh, Something that pushes a young person beyond his or her limits. So I decided to take my oldest son on a hike from Yosemite Valley to the top of Half Dome. This actually pushed his dad to his limits more than him. (laughs) And we did similar rites when our two other children reached 13. So I think Jesus is taking his disciples through a rite of passage in this section of John, from John 13 to John 17, Really, it's a one extended rite of passage. Scholars call this the final discourse. So Jesus has set aside this extended special time with his 12 in the upper room on the evening of his betrayal. They had walked with him for three years and now he was preparing them for his departure. And the evening includes two powerful symbolic actions. The first was Jesus did what with their feet? It's a part of their rite of passage is Jesus took their feet and washed them. And the second thing is he shared a Passover meal with them. That was a powerful symbolic action for he, he held the bread up and said, this is my what? And he held the wine up and said, this is my blood. Powerful. And then he warned them of trouble ahead. I love he's honest. And he introduced them to the Advocate. Wasn't there a great sermon last week uh, on the Holy Spirit? You're not going to be alone. They were about to go through a dark, dark valley of disappointment and disillusionment, which was going to push them to their limits. But resurrection joy was right around the corner. Amen. Amen. This motley crew, upon their filling with the Holy Spirit, would leave the world never the same. But before Jesus sent them out, he prayed for them. And that was the climax of this rite of passage. He prayed this prayer. If you want to know the heart of God, listen to the prayers of Jesus. Let's do that now. Let's first pray as we dive into the prayer of Jesus. Father... Take all of the distractions within our souls, the voices in our heads, the things we've carried into this space, and just we just give them to you. We surrender them to you, that we might receive your word. Not just in our minds, but in our bodies and our imaginations. Come and write your word on our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so he begins. I'm using the translation by Eugene Peterson, one of my mentors, called The Message. Then, raising his eyes in prayer, Jesus said, Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your son, so that the son in turn may show your bright splendor. I discovered that this prayer and the other Lord's Prayer have many similar themes. For example, they begin with, Father, hallow your name, display your splendor as you display my splendor. And how will the Son be glorified? Not through fame, not through celebrity, not through fanfare. Immediately following this prayer, Jesus will go to the garden where he will be betrayed and abandoned by his close friend, closest friends and accused and arrested. later that evening, he will be falsely accused, denied by Simon Peter, tortured, mocked, and the following afternoon he will be executed on a Roman cross. That's what follows after the amen of this prayer. Are you guys with me? The great paradox of the gospel is the Messiah is glorified through suffering. He wins by losing. He's crowned on a cross. This is a strange and beautiful glory, is it not? It's the way of discipleship. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must, what? Deny himself. We we live that strange glory of suffering. And he says, you put him, Father, in charge of everything human so that he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. Jesus is now praying, your kingdom come. The Father has revealed his kingdom and the generous rule of his Son. The Son uses his authority not to dominate, but to give life, which is an appropriate use of authority. He says, I spelled out your character and detail to the men and women you gave me. They were yours in the first place. Then you gave them to me. And they have now done what you said. Now Jesus praised, your will be done. Jesus sums up his ministry with a statement, I've spelled out your character to the men and women you gave me, and they have done your will. Your will is being done. Note this graphic. I wish you could see. You see the arrows between the Father and the Son? Can you see that? Out of the overflow of his extraordinary intimate relationship with the Father, Jesus gives himself to his disciples. Those are the D's in the circle. Remember who these D's are. Simon Peter, Thomas, Judas, James and John called the Sons of Thunder, not to mention a despised tax collector and a Jewish jihadist. These were the Messiah's misfits. Jesus shared the Father's life with the Messiah's misfits. Isn't that good news? That means he shares his life with us. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's who's in the room, guys. Remember who's in the room. <laughs> Since Easter, we've been working our way through the Gospel of John. Can you believe it? We've seen how Jesus has made the Father known. The, my favorite verse in John is 1.14, is where he says, The Word became flesh. And made his tabernacle his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And throughout the gospel, we see the grace and truth of Jesus. He made the Father known by quietly turning water into wine at a wedding and boldly cleansing the temple by engaging in deep spiritual conversations with an elite rabbi in Jerusalem and a despised woman in Samaria. He revealed the Father by healing on the Sabbath, feeding the 5,000 on the Passover, and by interrupting the great feast of tabernacles. Remember when the priest was pouring the water out over the altar. Jesus stands up and has the audacity to say, If anyone is thirsty, let them come to me. And he revealed the Father by mourning with Mary and Martha and then raising their dead brother to life. And by the way, he was constantly frustrating the religious authorities. This is how Jesus has displayed the Father. Isn't he amazing? Don't you want to follow him? And He prays, Father, they know now beyond a shadow of a doubt, in light of that whole life I've spent with them, that everything you gave me is firsthand from you. For the message you gave me, I gave to them, and they took it and were convinced that I came from you. Like Chris, my kids were all very gifted runners. We spent, Kathy and I spent lots of time watching and running track meets. That's a full Saturday activity. Our favorite race by far was the last one. By the way, the world championships are going on right now. Uh, The last one of the meet, the four by 400 relay. There's so much drama. Each team has four runners, and each runner would run with the baton a full lap and then pass it to the next. The whole race could be won or lost on the delivery of the baton. Jesus is declaring... Father, you gave me your baton, I completed my lap, and now I have given your baton to my followers, and they are about to run with it. Everything you gave me was in that baton, and I gave it to them. Friends, this is extraordinary. Everything Jesus received from the Father, he entrusts to us. He doesn't hold anything back. Think about that. He continues, I pray for them, Father. Not, I'm not praying for the God-rejecting world, but for those he, you gave me, for they are yours by right. Everything mine is yours and yours mine, and my life is on display in them. Wow! The life Jesus shares with the Father is on display in the church. You should say, wow. I mean, how does the world, your world, see Jesus? By looking at you. By looking at y'all. Together, we put Jesus on display in the world. How does that make you feel? (laughs) Terrified and excited all at once, right? It's amazing grace that he would use us. For I no longer am going to be visible in the world, he said. They'll continue in the world while I return to you. Holy Father. This is his first prayer request. Guard them as they pursue this life that you conferred as a gift through me. Jesus is saying, I'm returning to the Father, but you will continue in this world. May the Father guard you as you pursue this life. That you've received. I love the NIV. It says, may he protect you by the power of his name. Don't you love that song, the power of your name? What a beautiful name. That name has power to protect us as we live out our life in this world. Notice this next diagram. The disciples are in the world. Do you see that? There you go. (laughs) You see those objects in the world? Jesus is praying for the protection because the world will reject him and they will reject them. The world prefers to cling to its own gods. Those are idols. They symbolize the world's gods, their self-salvation projects. And under the pressure of the world's persecution and the seduction of the world's idols, you and I need protection. Amen? Amen. So why does Jesus pray for our protection? So that we might be one with one another in heart and mind as he and the Father are one. You can't see it, but the arrows between the Father and the Son are red now. And the arrows between the disciples are red. That same oneness. This is amazing. Between the Father and the Son, he's praying that we might have with one another. This is astounding, that our relationships with one another might reflect the unity of Jesus' relationship with the Father. Theirs was a relationship of shared purpose, heart, goal. It was marked by trust, collaboration, intimacy, complementarity, interdependence, responsiveness, vulnerability, and self-giving love. Jesus prays that his church might display this unity to the world, Can I be honest with you? When I read this prayer, I just want to say, Jesus, be realistic. This unity, the unity you share with the Father, it's not even remotely possible with us. Look at our track record. Jesus, have you studied church history? I mean, look at our church. Every congregation at one time or another is a hotbed of conflict. Here's the hard truth, friends. We are capable of immense kindness and compassion, but we're also frail, fallen, self-serving sinners. We constantly hurt and are hurt by one another. How can we reflect the unity that is shared by the Father and the Son? How can you pray this? What do you think? It's impossible apart from a commitment to a life of forgiveness to a life of giving and receiving forgiveness. In other words, like the other Lord's Prayer, Jesus wants us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. It's only with forgiveness that we can live into the answer of this prayer. That's the only way, because we're so fallen. Now I'm returning to you, he prays next. I'm saying these things in the world's hearing so that my people can experience my joy completed in them. Notice now there's purple. Uh, Purple symbolizes joy. There's joy between the Father and the Son, and He wants that same joy to be in us. And I tell you, there's no joy like the joy of unity and reconciliation, it's contagious. Then He says, I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it because they didn't join in the world's ways just as I didn't join in the world's ways. Jesus gives the church the Father's word and this word brings opposition from the world. Are you with me? Particularly when Christians don't just talk about it but actually intend to obey it. That's when it actually brings opposition. The world has resisted God's word from the very beginning. In Genesis 3, the serpent seduced Eve. How? By saying, did God really say? The serpent will do whatever it takes to twist the good word of God into a negative, restrictive set of dogmas. But the word of God is actually a grand, beautiful story. A liberating story about how God has been redeeming a people for himself, making them holy, and then placing them in the world to display his goodness. That's what the word is. It's a grand story from Genesis to Revelation. And what's amazing, you and I have a part to play in that story. We get to play a part in that story. You see, everyone is being shaped by a story. Everyone is being discipled. The world gets upset when we don't conform to their stories. Jesus continues, I'm not asking that you take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. They are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. And now do you get the tension? There's a tension to living in the world, but not of the world. Can anybody relate to that? We are tempted to opt out of that tension by breaking our lives into two compartments, the sacred and the secular, to live dualistic lives. In the sacred compartment, we sing and talk and act like Jesus followers. In the secular world, we go on incognito. We go along to get along. Throughout history, Christians have erred in these two directions, either in isolation or accommodation. Isolation is separating from the world in order to protect our holiness, our integrity in our faith. This can lead to cultural irrelevance and a holier-than-thou posture. Accommodation is when we try so hard to be culturally relevant that our values and priorities and attitudes are indistinguishable from the world. That's an equally problematic posture. Are you with me there? Jesus... And by the way, some of us are swung back and forth. (laughs) We become bold and live out our faith, and and then we experience persecutions. We go incognito, and we get convicted about that. We swing back and forth. Jesus is saying, no, 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 neither of those are my way. I'm not asking the Father to take you out of the world, but to guard you from the evil one. You are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. This echoes the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come on earth. Guys, earth is dirty. Earth is where we live out our everyday lives, where we work, where we raise families, where we do politics and civic engagement. Jesus taught us to pray also. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. From the evil one. Because we're planted in the world, we need protection. We are in the world, but not defined by the world. We get our identity not from the world, but from the word. Thank you. And then he prays, make them holy out there, consecrated with the truth. Your word is truth. And he goes on. In, in verses 18 and 19, it says, In the same way that you gave me a mission in the world, get this, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their sakes, so there'll be truth consecrated in their mission. Check this out. Next. We don't just exist as a holy huddle in the world. We're called to be on mission with Jesus in the world. Are you with me there? The God of the Bible is clearly a missionary God. Think about it. The Father sent the Son into the world. The Son has sent His church into the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. The whole Trinity is involved in the mission of God. And Jesus calls the whole church to the mission of God, not just spiritual ninjas, Think about it. Every believer has a part. I love the practice we have of collecting change in a bucket and giving the bucket to a volunteer who gives it away. We call that change for a dollar. This is really a picture of what Jesus is praying right here for his disciples. He says, Father, you gave me the bucket and now I'm giving it to them and they're going to give it away to the world. That's what Jesus is praying. And he trusts this group of Messiah's misfits to do that work. That's amazing. Every one of us gets to join Jesus in his work of restoration. And then he says, he's broadened his prayer. Father, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. Friends, that includes (laughs) y'all. We're in the prayer. (laughs) The mission of the church is to bear witness about Jesus Bearing Witness is telling what we've personally experienced and seen in Jesus. And as more and more people trust Jesus, they join this new family. And he says, the goal for all of them is to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, and me, and I and you. Again, he's repeating. When Jesus repeats something in his prayer, it's super, super important. So that they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. Can you read that with me again? The goal is that all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. Then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. And so what is Jesus' heart for his church and the world? that all who trust him might be one, just as he is one with the Father. Then the world would believe. Earlier in John 13, after he washed his disciples' feet, he said, by this all people will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. This is astounding. The mission of God in the world depends on the unity of the church. This is astounding. Do you realize how radical this prayer is? This is the prayer of Jesus for his church. You know the heart of God when you listen to the prayers of Jesus. And so what does it look like when Jesus' prayer is answered for our church? I try to sum up this whole The intent of Jesus for his church in this graphic. He he prayed, May you be one as we are one. When Jesus' prayer is answered, our church lives as a new family in Jesus. We live as a new family of Jesus that transcends our personalities, our politics, our economics, our race, our generational and cultural biases. Amen? It's a new allegiance. It's not just with other people who look and act like us and think like us. In Jesus' death and resurrection, these barriers have been blown apart. The Holy Spirit gives us a unity that we could never manufacture on our own. Isn't that beautiful? How the unity of the Spirit can cross all those barriers. And at Coastal Community, our primary introduction to life as family is through our community groups which we launch after Coastal Corps twice a year. So there's one coming up this fall. Secondly, Jesus prayed, sanctify them by truth. Your word is truth. When Jesus' prayer for our church is answered, we live as a community of disciples. According to Jesus, discipleship is not an optional extra. Everyone who is saved is saved for discipleship. For living as an everyday follower of Jesus. There's not like two levels. The 101 ordinary folks and then the 201 disciples. We're all 101 disciples. Messiah's misfits, but disciples. We define disciple here as one who's walking intentionally with God. That word intentionally is really beautiful. I love the word intentional. Because it involves a choice, a deliberate choice to seek Him first, to be changed by Him and to join Him in His work. And we believe disciples grow best in small communities of trust and vulnerability where we are sharing our lives, studying the Bible and praying the gospel into more and more of our lives. Amen? We all need that smaller circle. And thirdly, Jesus prayed, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. When Jesus' prayers answered the church, our church is a community of missionaries every one of us. There's no more exciting way to live, friends, than living on mission with God. Life is truly an adventure. When we see our world, our neighborhood, our workplace, our community, our city, our county, our state, even our nation, as troubled as it is through the eyes of Jesus. Amen? Jesus invites us to join him in his restoration work right where he has planted us. Notice what unites the triangles. Can you guys see what's in the middle of the triangles? Can you? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our identity as a church, you've got to get this. This is in this prayer. Our identity as a church is an overflow of the perfect love that exists in the very heart of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father makes us family, brothers and sisters in Christ. The Son calls us to follow Him in discipleship, and the Spirit empowers us to be His missionaries in the world. The whole Trinity is involved in making the church the church. Isn't that beautiful? So Jesus has given us this prayer as a gift. I believe John the Apostle gave us this long prayer in his gospel, not just to say, oh, isn't that beautiful what Jesus prayed, but as a model for how we can pray for one another. As a model for how we can pray for our church. As a model for how we can pray for every church, Protestant, Catholic, Evangelical, Pentecostal, across the five cities in Slope County, amen? And so I want to invite you, let's do that right now. Join with me. I I will lead us. Father, we give you praise. You truly have displayed your splendor in your Son. And it's a beautiful splendor. His life, his death and resurrection is just amazing. You gave us to him and he has delivered to us Everything he received from you, thank you that he held nothing back. And so we now pray with your son. Father, don't take us out of this world. But do protect us from the evil one. We are no more defined by the world than he was defined by the world. He gave us your word. Your word is truth. Make us holy with your truth. In the same way you gave him a mission in the world, Father, he has given us a mission in the world. Would you consecrate us for that mission? In the heart of this prayer, would you please join me? uh, Please repeat after me. May your love, love, the the love that binds you together with your Son, bind us together with one another. May we be one in heart and mind, as you are one in heart and mind, so that the world may believe, so that the world may believe. And, have and have life in your name. Through Jesus our Lord. Jesus our Lord. Amen, amen. Would